Welcome to the Dimensions book series by K. Arwen. An extraordinary tale of an inner journey and a battle of good against evil. In this podcast, the heroine Kaya tells her own story from book one, The Awakening. Our journey begins on the Scottish Isle of Skye. Parallel realities interconnect and interweave. Step in and enter Dimensions. Hi. Been sitting here in bed in the early morning and just thinking about, gosh, all the things that have happened in such a short space of time. Thinking about Metamorphos and meeting May and had such a lovely dinner with them last night, her and Alex. I glance at my phone and there's a message through from Bella. I read it and decide to ring. Hi Belle, you alright? Not really, she replies with a sob. He's left Kaya, just like that, walked out without so much as a buy your leave. Can you believe it? He's been seeing someone else these last few weeks, all the time. I feel so bloody stupid. I frown. He's the one who's stupid, Belle. He doesn't know a good thing when he's got one. Just don't make it your failing. It isn't your fault. What's that tapping noise, she says. I glance at the window. Oh, it's a bird banging against the glass. I think it wants to join our conversation. Perhaps if I haven't spent so much time at work, maybe he wouldn't have left, she says, changing the subject. Look. Don't go there, I reply. Have you told Lena? Yeah, I rang her this morning because I couldn't face going into work today, Bella replies. And what did she say? Write an article about it. I can almost hear Bella smirking. No, not exactly. Actually, she was super cool. She's emailed me a voucher to a spa and told me to have the day off tomorrow as well to remember how gorgeous I am. Well, that's decent of her, I reply. I wonder if you being the best PA she's ever had or is ever likely to get has got something to do with that. Bella laughs. Yeah, thanks for the compliment, I think, she replies. Lena wasn't so decent to you though, was she? I heard what she said about you having a breakdown and all. It sucks. You're not, Kaya. I know, I reply, interrupting. I know, honestly. I'm actually feeling quite the opposite. I feel more like me than I've felt for a long time. 
Oh, that's great, Bella replies, sounding more cheerful. So when are you coming back? I really miss you. I'm not sure I am, Belle. I'm feeling more and more like I might stay up here. What? Live? In Scotland? Permanently? She replies, sounding shocked. But what about work? I laugh. Well, I can write pretty much anywhere, can't I? It's not as though I come to the office that much. Still, Lena. Yeah, I know. Lena's going to have something to say about it, I reply. I don't know. It's not definite. It's just a feeling I've got at the moment, that's all. Well, you have to do whatever makes you happy, Bella replies graciously. You too, and that means not slumping because that idiot's cheated. You're worth a million of him. Remember what we've talked about, you know, the noise from the phones and how it affects people's behaviour bringing out the worst in them. Do you reckon that's what happened to him? Bella replies. Do you think that's why he had an affair and left? Dunno. Could be, couldn't it? Something's going on, Bella. Doesn't make it right, though. He didn't have to do that. But all I'm trying to say is, don't make it about you. Don't make it your fault. Thanks, Kaya. I'll be okay. Thanks for calling me and checking in. Anytime, I say. Speak soon. Make sure you keep your phone switched off, though, whenever you're not using it, Bella. And enjoy that spa. Bella rings off. And I follow my own advice and turn my own phone off. Actually, I go one step further and I take it onto the landing and cover it with a towel. Don't want any squealing from you, thanks, I say to it. Leodolf Leodolf had got up early dawn to take the rowing boat out on the loch. He launched the boat from the jetty and began to pull on the oars. The rowing felt really good. He enjoyed the exercise and it was satisfying to feel that all his work rebuilding the boat had finally paid off. It had been a while since he'd actually made a boat for himself. I mean, he worked on boats for other people, day in, day out. And it felt really good to actually have done something for himself, even if it was just a simple rowing boat. He watched the shoreline growing smaller and smaller as he pulled out across the loch. He hadn't really any destination in mind, He was simply wanting to be out on the water, on his maiden voyage. And the oars struck against the water in a rhythmical fashion, and he found the sound relaxing. He focused on the sound of the oars, and then became aware of something else. A sort of a snorting sound, and for a moment he looked around him in surprise for a dog. wondering if perhaps one had got in the water somehow and was stranded. But as he looked, the sound stopped and there was nothing to be seen. Somewhat puzzled, Leodolf continued to row and the sound came back. Well, whatever you are, I'm not stopping rowing again, he said out loud. 
the noise responded by seeming to come closer towards the boat's stern. Lidolf watched as a creature came into his field of vision. He thought at first that it was a seal being nosy with its head poking out of the water to observe him. But then the creature blinked. What the? The creature blinked again with two sets of eyelids on each eye, which had the effect of a camera shutter being closed. What was more, for a second, the eyes shone the deepest emerald green. Lidolf collected himself from his shock. Perhaps I was mistaken, he told himself reassuringly. You're a seal, aren't you, boy, he said, addressing the creature, which was still gazing after the boat keeping up with the speed of Leodov's rowing, with seemingly no effort whatsoever. The creature responded by shaking its head. Leodov stopped rowing. OK, I saw that, no mistake. So you understand exactly what I'm saying to you. The creature remained motionless for a, for a while, staring at him, and Leodov began to feel uncomfortable. Not afraid, but uncomfortable. It was as though he was being scanned, as if the creature was trying to figure him out. Then, suddenly, it appeared to make up its mind. It raised a webbed finger to its lips in a gesture to keep silent, and then slowly sank into the water. Leodolf remained still in the boat, oars momentarily forgotten. He remembered all the stories about Kelpies who lived in the loch, who could transform their shape and walk on the land. He'd always felt that there was truth within those myths, but he hadn't ever encountered a Kelpie, at least not until now. He took up his oars and, turning with his back to the shore, began to row to the jetty. In front of him he could see the loch and the ocean beyond and it seemed vast and seamless against the sky. There could so easily be whole other worlds out there, he thought to himself. In fact, it's naive to think that there aren't. He reached the jetty and rowed the boat round to its mooring that he'd made for it. And as he threw the rope attached to the boat onto the jetty, he caught sight of it, a necklace tied around the mooring. It was made of a piece of leather thread strung with white shells. Leodolf felt a trance-like state come over him, as though he was there but not there, as he gathered the leather string of shells in his hands. For a moment he could hear laughing and a, a woman's voice and he felt a pull at his heart and then the sensation passed. He stared at the shells. They looked familiar, but how could that be the case? And how did they end up on his jetty? He looked around at the house to see if there was anyone in sight, but instinctively he knew that the shell necklace hadn't been left by anyone from that direction. He ran his hands through his hair as he thought, May. May might have an idea about them or where they came from. She was pretty perceptive. He tied the shells around his neck and began to walk back towards the house. I 
I finished drying the dishes and put them away in the cupboard. It's funny really, but since I've been talking to Belle, I feel kind of flat. Images of aliens and crystals and the monoliths and even Lena seem to be whizzing around my head. And on top of that, I keep thinking of Fraser and Lidolf that May and Alex talked about. I don't know, I feel kind of silly, almost desperate for being drawn to a stranger. I decide to walk the dogs along the beach and enjoy the weather. Perhaps it will clear my head and knock some sense into me. I put on my walking boots and whistle the dogs and they come scampering into the hallway as I open the front door. Taking the path that leads down to the shore, I begin to walk along the beach. The tide's low and the beach is covered by seaweed that's laying flat against the rocks. (laughs) Smile, remembering how different it looks when you're swimming in between it. Then the seaweed looks like a lush forest all around you and now it looks well kind of sad and lifeless. I begin to harvest some of the seaweed from the rocks, sea lettuce, bladderwack and some of the long-stranded sea kelp. I pull a small piece of the bright green sea lettuce from a rock and pop it into my mouth and screw up my face at the salty taste. Yet the funny thing is, I can feel its energy flooding through me, as if my body's soaking in every ounce of nourishment from it. And I instantly feel more energised and vibrant. I take another piece. One of the dogs runs towards me looking hopeful. Well, you're welcome to try it, I say, holding out a piece of seaweed to the dog. The black and white dog sniffs at it suspiciously and looks at me as if I'm mad. Okay, it's not your thing then. What about this, I say, throwing a piece of driftwood that's lying at my feet. (laughs) The dog races after it, closely followed by the other one, who's seen the movement too. (laughs) I glance out across the lock and catch the sight of a man rowing in the distance. I feel a deep surge of recognition in my heart and, is that Leodolf? It could be. I watch the man rowing at speed. It's funny... May and Alex mentioned he'd renovated a rowing boat. Well, the chances are then that the person that I'm seeing is him. He disappears around the headland and I'm very aware at how my energies have reacted. I wonder why. I need to find out more about him, I think, as I begin to walk back towards the house carrying the armful of seaweed that I've collected. I'll definitely go and see May. May's bound to tell me more about Leodolf if I ask. I mean, she's known him for long enough. I'll take the dogs on a hike and I'll call and see May home when on my way home. The hike I've chosen is to go and visit the Old Man of Store. It's one of the main tourist attractions on the island. Well, I say tourist attraction, it's a rock. But it's a popular place with the visitors. I've been kind of putting off going because of that. I didn't want to really have to compete with, well, busloads of people and busy pathways in order to visit it. I kind of wanted to go in solitude. Anyway, this time of the morning is perfect. 
I drive north to the island and park my van and take the track that twists and turns across the moorland. To the right of me, the sea looks flat like a mirror and glints with a golden hue as the mist at last relents and begins to clear. I find myself gasping for breath almost. It's quite cold and I'm walking at such a fast pace. It's like I've got this urgency and inner prompt that I can't deny, as though something is pulling me towards the rock. And the funny thing is, the closer I get, the stronger it becomes. There's an old wooden gate to my left and going through it, I take the tiny track that leads up the steep bank before coming to a winding track that goes up the mountainside. There's a few trees here, and among them it's uncannily silent. Not even any sounds of birds. It's as though the world is pausing, holding its breath. I'm very conscious of the sound of my boots walking on the ground. Even though it's a minimal noise, it's as though the sound vibrates through the silence, giving away my presence. The track finally breaks free from the trees and I find that I've already climbed a third of the way up the mountain. And from here the vista of the old man of store rock stands out. It completely blows my mind. There's a kind of rugged beauty and majesty about this singular rock perched at a precarious angle as though looking out over the mountainside. It's funny, but every cell in my body is screaming out to me that I've been here before. And then I hear it like a deep resonance that comes up from, as though I'm hearing it beneath my feet, comes up from the ground and resonates through my body and I hear in my mind the word, welcome. It's really strange. I carry on walking towards the towards the rock and I'm very aware of small beings with bright sparkly eyes peering out from within the rock as I do. I can almost hear them whispering to each other. I make my way to the base of the store rock and the rock peers down at me, a, a monolith of granite, gazing out across the mountain and the ocean below, like a guardian that's been here for millennia. I feel a shockwave shooting through my body that almost knocks me off my feet. It's as though the whole ground is rumbling and an intense pulse of energy floods through me. Gosh, what is this? I'm reminded of a similar memory from my childhood and, well, at that time, I thought it was a dragon. I, I, I shake the thought from my mind and but the pulse happens again. Okay, I know you're there, I send with telepathy into the ground beneath my feet. And it's as though I can feel the presence of this energy deep within the earth. But I can also feel that there's something wrong with it, as though it's calling out for help. Hmm. As I connect, the rumbling and the, the pulsing stops. But that feeling of this energy 
needing help still stays with me. It's really strange. And I observe the rock in front of me going into some kind of trance as I do. And I can see a face that forming within it, a, a stern face that would have looked severe if I didn't or hadn't heard that welcome. I just find myself standing and waiting. And then my body begins to tingle again as the initial vibration I'd felt starts to ripple through my body. The energy becomes more intense, almost like a a hot electric and instinctively I open the portal and step through, closely followed by my two dogs. As I come out the other side, I, I look around to see where I am. At first, nothing looks different. I'm still standing near the rock. But then I'm aware of how everything is brighter. Even the face in the rock itself seems to have more detail. Its eyes bore into me as though seeing my soul. I look around and see my dogs chasing a rabbit. At least the rabbits look normal enough. Kaya, you're here. Glancing up the slope, I see Metamorphos jogging down the slope towards me. Hi, uh, where exactly is here? I reply. Alfime, one of the subterranean dimensions, Metamorphosis says, coming to a standstill. He indicates the lush landscape and the rock castle behind him. You've been here before. I'm sure you'll remember, as your brain lets go of its perception, that the third dimension is the only reality. I grin and gaze up at the castle. It's like something out of a medieval story with turrets and spires that reach up into the sky, each gleaming with light as the sunlight reflects onto the crystals that sit on top of each one. The light from these crystals shines out like stars and is lighting up the grass and the rocks. The colours and different textures shine out, golden greens and brown, silvers and greys. The whole world looks stunning. Well, that might take a while, I reply. Well, says Metamorphos, you're not doing that bad so far. You opened the portal to get here after all. We walk up to the castle and and enter its courtyard. Carvings of figures and faces decorate the walls. And some of these look human, but many don't. Yet all of them have got the appearance of giant sentinels, bearing down a challenge to anyone who passes. And I kind of know that this is a really sacred place. A place where you're welcome, but also where you're required to show openness and respect. Standing in groups within the courtyard are are different races of beings, and some of them turn and acknowledge me as I pass. I smile and wave, feeling a bit uncomfortable. This is so embarrassing, I mutter to Metamorphos. Give yourself time, he replies. It'll all come back. 
He leads the way across the courtyard to a large carved archway in the wall. As we walk through, a shockwave of recognition floods through my body and I gaze at the long vaulted room with its high archways intricately carved with leaves. And high on the ceiling are large lamps formed from rock and metal, and these, like the towers outside, house large crystals that shine with light, almost like daylight. Doors and passageways lead off from the room, and I can hear singing and chanting from some of these. My body tingles with the sound, and I can feel all the tension and strain in my body melting away. I follow Metamorphos down the centre of the room, passing by an open door to the left. As we pass, I look inside and I can see that the book is lined with enormous bookcases that are crammed with large leather and fabric-bound books with writing in dark or golden letters. Despite their ancient-looking appearance, the books shine as if they've just been made. At the far end of the room, I can catch a glimpse of a large oak table, and sitting there is a wizened old man. He catches my gaze and waves. I know I've got to speak to speak to him, but now's not the time. Come on, Kaya! I wave back and then, hurrying to catch up with Metamorphos. There's a spiral staircase that's twisting upwards, and he's a few steps ahead. I catch him up. At the top of the staircase, there's another door that's partially open. And as we approach, I become aware of the sound of the voices. Some debate is underway. Something has to be done. If the Matrix Lord breaks the Great Dragon, his plan will succeed. We can't rely on the prophecy. We need an alternative solution. A tall, slender woman has spoken. She looks almost human and wears a long medieval-looking dress. The Atlantean will not fail us, says another being, with an oval head and hair the same colour as her pale moss skin that's twisted at the back to form a huge knot. But she isn't here, argues a short, stocky, dwarf-like man who's dressed in armour. Besides, it's questionable whether it's really anything to do with us anymore. We left the 3D earth plane aeons ago. It's up to men and women to wake up and see the truth of things. Surely, it's their destiny that's at stake, not ours. I agree, spoke out another pale-skinned being. Why should we help? Earth is all but ruined by man. All the more reason to help before it's too late, the slender lady says firmly. Dimensions exist in the same space after all, so we aren't ever truly separate. The mythical realm is interwoven with the three-dimensional realm, as are the realms of our brothers and sisters from other galaxies. We're all connected. What affects one ultimately affects us all. There was a murmur of agreement and I take a deep breath and enter the room. Well, not so much a room, it turns out, as a garden. For the rock wall of the castle opens out here to become a balcony full of flowers with ivy and 
other climbing plants luxuriously hanging over the carved pillars. And the balcony frames a vista beyond, and what a vista! From here I can see the loch down on the glen floor, the ocean beyond, and higher I can see the store, the rock, overseeing it all. Kaya, at last, you have news! I feel really awkward, and I pause for a moment to try and gather my thoughts and words and tell them that this has been a mistake and I'm not actually who they seem to think I am and I don't know them. I open my mouth to speak and the strange thing happens. I felt this surge of energy and stagger almost, feeling dizzy. The slender lady hurries across to help me. Kaya, are you all right? she says in concern. I stare into her face. Elvain? The lady smiles. Yes, hello. I look round at the others. Dewar? I say, looking at the dwarf, who nods his head and grins. Thon? Ivac? Elnat? The others nod and smile in response. It's as though a veil has fallen away from my brain and memories begin to flicker through my mind. Images of the beings before me and memories of the conversations that we've shared and suddenly all the memories that are linked with this part of myself, this facet, they all flood back. I knew that you'd find your way back, Elnat says, but can you remember the prophecy? shake my head. Well, no, not yet, I reply. All I know about the Matrix Lord is what metamorphosis here has told me, and the things I've witnessed for myself. I proceed to to tell them what I've experienced since hearing the squealing noise from my mobile phone. Alvain looks stern. The Shadow Men have no place in the third dimension, she says after I tell them how they'd attacked the people in the cafe. They'll wreak havoc. If the Matrix Lord is utilising the Shadow Man, as well as the transmissions through the phone network to destabilise humanity, he can move on to his ultimate goal, which is to spread the spores of the Skinwalkers through the dimensions. The Matrix Lord is deluded if he believes that the Skinwalkers are a subspecies that he can manipulate and control, Thon replies with a frown. His arrogance makes him blind. You're right, Ivac agrees, but that won't stop him. Once he has dominion over humanity, the Matrix Lord will seek to extend his power. We're all under threat. And the Lay Dragons are sick. They cannot sustain the increased pressure from the Matrix Lord for much longer. Not without the strength of the Great Dragon. Dragons? I inquire. Earth energies are balanced by lay dragons, Elnat replies. They ensure that the third dimension is clear and energies are free-flowing. If the lay dragons are strong, then all the interconnecting dimensions stay strong too. Do you remember? I nod, 
a vague recollection of dragons and ley lines coming to the forefront of my mind. The ley lines send energy through the planet and through the other dimensions that share the physical realm, don't they? And all the interwoven dimensions are affected by what happens to the third dimension and the dragons are the guardians. Exactly, Elnat confirms. So what needs to be done, I ask? Well, that's simple enough to say. The lay dragon energy has to be restored. The great dragon has to be set free. If the great dragon is restored to health, then his energy will flow through the ley lines and all the other dragons will be empowered. Their energy will ensure that the third dimension is super strong and the skinwalker spores will not be able to survive. Okay, and how can that be done, I say, looking round at the group. There was silence for a moment. And Elvane speaks first. There's a prophecy, she says. It speaks of one from the sea who will stand against the Matrix Lord. That being has the power of the dragons. That being can channel energy through the dragon's heart crystal and can heal them. I don't say anything and stare at Yvain and then look round at the others. And they're all staring back at me. I feel a surge of panic race up my spine. You're talking about me, aren't you? I say. And although I know what their answer was going to be, it still comes a bit of a shock when they say, yes. Thank you for listening. And so that you don't miss an episode of Kaya's journey from Dimensions, The Awakening, then please follow the podcast K. Arwin Dimensions, the book series. And for more information on the author, check out kayamia.co.uk. Until next time, I leave you with some Atlantean light language. Oh, yeah.